Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are. I'm your host, Sarah Poet. Women are healing from outdated paradigms and we are rising, and we're not doing it by further fighting or depleting ourselves anymore. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. Here, we remember together through stories, tools, and curiosity. We infuse the sacred with the logic, spirit with embodiment, feminine with masculine. And here we strengthen by becoming sovereign and whole. In doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Visit sarahpoet.com today to find my archive of episodes, grab your free download of Masculine Feminine Money, and schedule your 15-minute discovery call with me to identify your next steps for your sacred remembering journey. I love supporting you. Now, let's begin. Hello and welcome back to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. It's really beautiful to be here with you today, wherever this finds you. And I am just so pleased that Artemis Rose and I could bring you this episode. I feel like it's coming from my heart. It's coming from her heart. I know it's coming from her heart because this woman has such a big heart. So we're going to bring forward an episode on storytelling and the shame that comes with it, the importance of authenticity, and Artemis is going to share her story. Um, So I just, I want to share a little before I read her bio and bring you the episode, because this was really a a special, um, I don't know, even like an alchemy in my own life, in Artemis's life. And it's not unusual, honestly, for people to come on the podcast and, you know, share a story that they haven't shared before, (laughs) myself included, and then have some sort of like vulnerability hangover later. And I try to name that on the podcast. I've named that a few times in the past because it's important for you to know that even though, you know, I share a lot of story or Artemis is going to share her story, it's not necessarily that that comes completely easily or without, you know, a vulnerability hangover or um, even like a shame flare up. So interestingly, before we recorded this episode. We were set to record. Artemis woke up super early on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. And it was early for me. So it was really early for her. And, um, but she's used to that because, uh, yeah, because this woman's got it going on. So, um, so it's early and there was something like foggy in my head. Like I felt like I was having some sort of allergic reaction to something. I didn't eat or drink anything that really warranted that. So it was just odd. Like I just felt a little odd. Um, But, you know, we set sacred space. We had the conversation. And what happened was I, I kept like jotting down all of these notes about 
things that I wanted to kind of bring in from like a psychological perspective or, you know, ask for an analysis. But there was something in me that was really saying, just listen to this story. Like just be in the space of receiving a woman's story. And so (laughs) it's perfect. So Artemis is sharing her story and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing that like what came up for her afterwards was like, oh my gosh, maybe I shared too much story. And so we were able to dialogue a bit this week about the things that come up, you know, after we're sharing a story. But I really wanted to share a little bit more about some of that alchemy that's been happening for me since this episode and and. Artemis is like bravery and courage for sharing the episode of, um, or the story of like, you know, kind of falling down and, and find your way back. And what I love about this woman is, um, how she owns her humanity. And, and Artemis does that on all social media, everywhere she goes. She's real. And she has walked her walk and she lives and abides in her heart. It actually, you know, I feel the emotion of that right now because the essence of how Artemis Rose walks on the planet is so authentic and also so, um, you know, inviting and receptive of the full range of the human experience, not just the perfection, not just the success stories, right? But but the gritty and the real. And I love how she models this because with her work, with Embody You, it's the letter U, Embody You, you know, she's always talking about like, you get to be you. And so from this episode, I'm you know, we're like 103 episodes and I'm over three years into my business. It's been a bumpy ride to say the least at points in time. And to be honest, I have a real propensity or have had, I'll say that, to see things through a cloudy lens when looking at my own life. So you could say shame. Right. So things, you know, mistakes that I made and decisions that I made were like, you know, how I self sabotage. I have like certain sabotage patterns that come up in my business and, um, you know, or, or things around money and, and I've just had shame around those. Oh, or like this is a really big one. Um, you know, being in relationships that have um, not lasted and being a relationship coach, you know, things like that are like, okay, am I, you know, am I going to let this define me, slow me down? Am I going to let it shut me down? You know, I've really had to, to grapple with that and grapple with shame. And here's the self-reflection that really popped for me in the week since we've recorded this and in my processing and and doing some processing and conversation with Artemis as well is that, you know, even though I started 
this journey, telling stories, being super authentic. It's like I fell down or tripped enough times that there were certain stories that I like didn't tell or, you know, certain things that may have been um, shameful or um, like, yikes, not the best or, or something like that. And what I did, what my coping mechanism was kind of after tripping enough times, it became this attempt to be the authority, um, like have an authoritative voice about the subject matter, um, maybe instead of telling the, <laughs> the exploration through story. Now, I think I also need to, again, give myself some credit, which I have sometimes a hard time doing. I have to give myself some credit that I share a lot of story. I have shared a lot of words on here. I have um, shared stories on other podcasts. I mean, I really love doing that. And I do kind of naturally get vulnerable. But the tendency to go toward... um, like authority, you know, like teacher authority, I have the information. And that's how for a while I was marketing my business. And looking back, um, you know, it's been since, well, <laughs> 2021 has been a massive cleanse and a massive, um, recalibration in my system. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a little podcast episode on that. I'm not sure yet. This is like an impromptu thing that I'm saying, because maybe I'll model that, that vulnerability, that like discovery of what 2021 um, really has been for me, but it really has been a washing clean of certain performance tendencies or um, pressuring tendencies or perfectionist tendencies. And this episode with Artemis that I want to get to soon um, really was so nourishing, uh, a nourishing reminder for me to embrace the you know, the, the mess, the, um, the vulnerability, um, the authenticity, the, the shame that, you know, doesn't want to be acknowledged sometimes or spoken about. And, um, so I'm practicing that and I'm noticing why I don't share a story, you know, um, some reason being like family pressure. You know, I, I have been working on this memoir for a while and I have trouble sharing the stories about, you know, the stories that I want to share in the memoir. Um, and you know, there's, there's not really shame so much as like, um, you know, fear of isolation kind of thing. So I have just derived so much inspiration um, from Artemis and her deep share in this podcast episode. And thank you so much, Artemis, um, because I I am practicing. I'm practicing authenticity. Uh, my Facebook post this week, I, I named um, 
a like a consumption hangover that I had after uh, the Cyber Monday thing. And, um, you know, just really like owning the imperfections right alongside with um, my value and what I do bring. So I'm clearing that glass, you know, that metaphorical, um, you know, lens that I'm seeing things through and I'm saying more so, um, yeah, totally imperfect over here and still have a lot to offer. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to share. Just an example of the kind of reflection that may come up for you as a listener after you enjoy this episode and this, um, really, really amazing story. Please enjoy. If you enjoy this episode and you want to join community and a community of women that is maybe a little afraid to tell story, but we do it anyway, um, full of authentic shares, a safe space for you to be authentically you, the sacred remembering membership does exist. You can visit Sarah Poet dot com and read all about it and join monthly or annually. And what we've got going on there is of course the women's community. We have at least two live calls per month where we we meet all together in actual community. And then there's also a library archive of content um, that I have created over my own sacred remembrance journey and this feminine and masculine unification journey. And so there is a lot of content for you to go into and explore there on your own time as well. I hope you'll check that out. I also want to mention to you that Structure and Flow is um, available now. We are meeting early January, again, as community, right? That's that's how we're going to move forward here in this new world um, that we're creating. In early January, we meet as a cohort, and Structure and Flow is a time and energy optimization system for women. If you're curious about it, go to sarahpoet.com backslash structure and flow. And you can also hop on my email list and I am talking all about structure and flow right now. Um, December 7th, I am having a free event for women to explore how just how do you value your resources, your inherent resources, and where can you begin to optimize that. So structure and flow really started out as a, you know, time and energy optimization system. It's a 90 day planner. That's what it is. If you follow it step by step, day by day, you're going to see incredible results. We practice balancing feminine and masculine, not so much balancing, but integrating feminine and masculine and um, really optimizing your time. And you, you start to see changes within the first week. I mean, it's amazing. Um, 
This year, however, as I'm really thinking about this and all of the thinking that I've done about um, women's resources and, you know, time and energy and money and, and just value, you know, structure and flow is really a way to, to know how you are valuing yourself and your resources and then begin to optimize that. And women, when we optimize that, the world begins to see us differently and reflect back to us differently. So this is not an episode about structure and flow. The last episode was about structure and flow. Um, but that is on sale, um, open cart until December 17th. We will mail you a beautiful planner in the mail and we'll start as a group on January 2nd. So please be sure to check that out and, um, and catch it. And I would love to start 2022 with you that way, optimizing your resources. So, uh, yeah, so all the things can happen. All right. Here we go. Artemis Rose is the creator and founder of Embody You, a movement focused on helping women wake up to the truth of who they are, remind them of their inherent power, and step boldly into their authentic purpose. She is passionate about reminding high-performing women that there is nothing wrong with them and that their greatest strengths come from their weakest moments. You can catch her inviting weekly guests onto her podcast, Embody You, for chats around all things embodiment, connection, creativity, authenticity, feminine masculine integration, inner union, and more. When not with Embody You, she is also a practicing licensed marriage and family therapist and is currently finishing up her doctorate in clinical psychology. You can find more information about her via the Instagram bio, linktree backslash embody you whole. Hello, Artemis, and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. As we just tune in and I am tuning into you and your presence, I I just feel I, like my heart just opens. I appreciate you so much. And um, my experience of you, it, it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit. And I really look forward to this conversation and getting to know you more. And over the past few years, we've been in one another's spheres via Facebook, the Facebook land. Thank goodness for, you know, the, the reconvening of soul family through, you know, social media. But I just really want to lift up and appreciate your level of authenticity and the level of there, there's like a, a purity and a realness in in who you are and who you be. And I might, um, you know, go on and on about you <laughs> throughout this podcast, but I just really want to say that I, I appreciate the way you show up, the way you live, the way you walk. 
um, in this in this life where there's so many uh, temptations to perhaps you know like put on um, a happy face or you know overachieve or uh, put on just like a false persona and you just don't do that at all. Um, and your brand is all about authenticity. You're about authenticity. But more than that, I can just feel by by feeling you and how you're in the world, I can just feel that you're a woman who has really walked this walk. Like how you're showing up is all about you and your journey and in your heart. And so I just really thank you for that because there are, there's a lot of falsehood going on, um, on the internet and, and the, you know, like personal coaching spaces and all of that. And I just really appreciate you (laughs) and your authenticity. Yeah. Wow. You already got me tearing up in the first (laughs) line that you're sharing. Thank you. I really am going to receive that, that, that really means a lot because I think that is the core, the core of who I am. And I know that's, you know, something similar with sacred remembering and everything that you're about. Uh, There's definitely this devotion to truth and, and yeah, I just appreciate that reflection because uh, it's uh, which I'm excited to share, you know, some, some bits of my story. But I think no matter where I am or what I'm doing or who I'm around, it's that, it's just, it's that devotion to the authenticity and the truth that matters the most, the most to me. And yeah, so I appreciate that again. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. And um, thank you for being here today to talk about shame and storytelling. And um, what a big and powerful topic. Um, So maybe let's, let's start with a little bit of your story, because I think that if we're talking about authenticity and showing up and, and your whole, your brand is called Embody You. And so you're walking your talk for sure. And I want to hear more about the story to, you know, choosing that, like choosing to embody that authenticity and, um, and choosing to face the, you know, the shame, the vulnerability, the not pretty stuff, um, that helps to shape us into who we are. And, um, yeah. So do you want to, do you want to start with story? Yes. Yes. Super excited. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. So, okay. Little context background, like many women probably listening on this journey come from background of a lot of abuse and chaos. So just prefacing that because that kind of lays the foreground of many falls that I would have, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, that would lead, that would lead up to that. But yeah, you know, um, deal, dealing with like all forms of abuse and domestic violence and whether it's 
physical, sexual, mental, I went through all of that growing up. So it was a very chaotic, chaotic household and chaotic life that I kind of lived. And then I would say in my early, so this was when I went to Berkeley and when I was in my early twenties, I, well, I got heavily into drugs in my teens, but the, the drugs really got to me in my early twenties. And I was in a toxic relationship, repeating patterns that were around domestic violence. And we had this breakup and that kind of just plummeted me to the depths because by this time I wasn't, I had pretty much pushed everybody away in my life. And I was heavily into my, my addictions and just really lost. And I remember crying out. That was like the beginning. That was like the catalyst of my awakening because at that point I had lost, it felt like I had lost everything. You know, I wasn't talking to family at the time. I had lost a serious relationship who I was with for a couple of years and I had pushed friends away and I was ready to just take my life. And I made a pact <laughs> with a with God at the time, because I didn't really believe in God. I had went to Catholic school all growing up, even to all girls and all girls high school. But I made a pact and I said, if you're really out there, I will change my life around. Like I will, I will commit to love. And I remember saying that when I was 21 and I was really close to not graduating too, because it was just really, really, like I said, chaotic. I was beginning to fall behind in classes. And luckily I had a professor who was a godsend who, uh, who was aware of the struggles I was facing with my mental health because I was showing up to class all scratched up and bruised up and, and all the mm. self-harm that I was inflicting and they wanted, they cared more about my mental health. So they were able to help me at least pass the class that I needed to graduate from Berkeley at the time. Mm. And, and so I really see how God put certain people in my life at that time. But once I hit, you know, once I cried out before, cause I was this close to, you know, taking my life at the time, then all of a sudden my life just started shifting, you know, there as, different support started coming in. So that was kind of the catalyst. Like that's what actually put me on this path to then beginning to ask myself like, okay, who am I? Like, what do I really want out of life? Where, where am I headed? And I really need to seek help and get, and just break family patterns. I had seen at that time that I was just really becoming and really becoming someone that I didn't even want to become at all. And so that was the catalyst. And so that was when I was 21. And so that kind of led me to then getting into yoga, learning about mindfulness, learning about, you know, nutritional living. And then I entered a master's program for marriage and family therapy. And that was probably when I was 23, I'd say, because I had to go back to the local JC to take, uh, to take courses for uh, psychology because I thought I was going to go to law school at the time. And I still want to go to law school one day, but like mm. I, I, I really wanted to do psychology because I learned in one of my classes, um, I remember reading this one, uh, this one passage about 
marital issues and how this one individual ended up becoming a marriage and family therapist. I just knew in my core, I was like, that's exactly what I want to study because having grown up, especially in a broken household where that wasn't present, my, you know, my yearning had always been to, to just, I guess, have that sense of family and that sense of connection since, you know, I wasn't able to connect with it. So that was kind of the, that what catap- that's what catapulted me into the marriage and family therapy program. And so in that program, I really had to shed even more, you know, it's so funny because when I think about, you know, I was still, I had started the master's program, starting to sm- still smoking cigarettes. And I remember like going into the program and like, reeking of cigarettes and still being self-conscious of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm like on my way to study to be a therapist. And like, I still have, you know, all these things, but you know, at the time yoga is what really helped me break that, that addiction um, of cigarettes. And as I started to kind of practice the mindfulness and, and all that. So, you know, I ended up finishing a couple, you know, the couple of years it took And I ended up getting back with my ex from underground, underground, undergrad in Berkeley. And I moved up North and I ended up getting into a doctorate program with the same school. They just had different campuses. And I moved to Alameda with him. Uh, Initially I moved to San Francisco because he he got into his loss. He was doing finishing up law school, but the agreement I told him is I couldn't do the city. Like I needed to be around nature. So we moved Mm -hmm. to Alameda and I commuted for the first year to Sacramento because that's where my doctorate program was. And it seemed that as soon as like all the inner work I was doing at the time, I had never really addressed still a lot of my core trauma I was learning all these skills like mindfulness and yoga and nutritional eating and all that, but I still wasn't, I still hadn't done more of the heavy deep dive work of Mm -hmm. healing the trauma on a deeper level. So when I ended up moving a year later, uh, after I had moved to Alameda, California, my ex got his dream position in Sacramento. So it was destined for us to go to Sacramento because I had my doctorate program there. And as soon as we landed there, it was just, it was as if, uh, everything was preparing me (laughs) to, to face the crumbling of my life. So Mm. after a year of moving to Sacramento, my ex and I, we really started having, we, we started, I mean, we, we had to work through a lot of our issues, but I think I was starting to come out of denial more about what I wanted in the relationship and really beginning to focus on myself instead of controlling him. And I, and I started to do deeper inner work with this therapist who had become my mentor. And within six months of working with this mentor, I left the doctor program. I left my off and on nine year relationship I left this uh, interning position, which meant that I wasn't going to finish my, my doctoral program, um, exam. I left, uh, what else did I leave? I experienced some financial loss and, 
yeah. So it was like every area of my life <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, it was like all my safety bandages, but the way it started mm. off was first it was the doctor program because by this time I was so burnt out. I was doing the doctorate program full time and then I was doing two internships. And so my days were so long and back to back. And I remember just being in therapy and just crying and and my mentor at the time, he told, he, I, I didn't know at this time that I had the power to, to make changes at the time. I just thought mm. that like, this is the way it was. Like, this is how my relationship with school mm. was. And I needed to just, that was just how it is. Like I needed to just slave away or just abandon myself. And, mm-hmm. and so I didn't realize, I didn't realize that. So I ended up, and isn't that really interesting? I just want to say one thing, like, don't, don't lose your place there, but you know, I love this and I'm lifting this up for listeners because we have these, um, intuitions about what, what we want to study, what we want to become. Right. And your heart is in it. And then there's like, there's still this like old programming that has to shed. So here you are studying, um, you know, (laughs) how to be, um, how to relate well, how to be whole, you know, doing yoga and still sacrificing parts of self. And that just feels so important, like on this walk, you know, it's not like you start doing yoga or you start to, you know, take classes and then like, boom, we're just like living our best life. You know, there's, there's this like juxtaposition that's like so often present, I think, um, when we're following our hearts, but we don't yet understand all that we haven't, um, unearthed or like all of the things that we haven't looked at yet, the deep soul stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like I feel because of the, because of where I was at with my complex trauma in my early twenties, the yoga and mindfulness helped me begin to actually be a little bit more aware of myself, right. And begin to relating because prior to that, forget it. I would, mm-hmm. the, the way I interacted with others, I just, yeah, I was really in my trauma and uh, had really no sense of core of self, but I actually ended up and, and that's another story for another time. But I did have this spiritual, the spiritual Kundalini mystical experience back in 2000. And I think it was 2011 after I had started doing yoga for 30 days hmm. where everything completely, I woke up one morning and everything shifted in my reality. And I didn't know what was going on at the time, but it was because of that actual awakening that I became connected more with myself mm-hmm. and And so I felt like everything was leading up. Like I see how I needed the groundwork to at least, you know, have some of the tools (laughs) like to be aware enough to begin to do the the deeper work. Right. Because you have to have a certain level of safety in your body to be able to do that. But even in then, um, when all these changes happened, I ended up homeless on the street. So I'll get to that in a second. But so I ended up leaving. So it was the doctor program I left and it felt like a breakup. Like I, my heart split wide open. I grieved breaking up with education. And because to me, it was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Right. But you were doing that. I'm sorry. (laughs) You were doing that because it just 
it didn't feel aligned anymore or just, it felt like you were sacrificing such a part of yourself for that way of life. Yeah, it was, it was such a heavy, it felt like I, I just was, I guess I was burnt out at the time, but I didn't realize I was burnt out and I didn't see any other way to me. It was like black and white at the time. Right. So, and I had such a unhealthy relationship with school that I, I needed to, to in a way break up with it. And plus at the time, certain things were just closing doors. It was like, as if the universe was also closing that door in my life because I was in my last year of my, my doctorate program. All I needed was a doc exam, but I needed to see clients and, and do recordings to present it. But what happened is one of the internship sites that I worked at, I ended up stuff ended up happening at the internship site that I had to walk away from it. So the clients that I needed to even begin to do my doc Mm -hmm. exam, I didn't have access to anymore. So it was kind of as if doors were closing and I just kind of surrendered. And I said, Mm -hmm. okay, I guess I have to walk away right now. And for me, it meant at the time, wow, I guess that means maybe I'll never go back to school because I don't know what the unknown's asking of me. Mm -hmm. And so this was like the first, that was like the first, uh, I guess, the the first wake up in my reality of really beginning to dive into the unknown of walking away from what I knew and, and sacrificing, you know, giving up this path that I had worked so hard for all these years. So once that happened, then I got out of denial about my relationship. And I remember my mentor, I go in like a couple weeks later after I break up with school and then, then it's the relationship. And I'm like, wow, are you serious? Now I got to leave the relationship. <laughs> like what is going on? Mm. And I didn't want to leave it at the time, but you know, I just felt like I needed, I needed to face my fear of being alone. And there were things that we both, he said he wanted in a relationship, but I didn't, I want, I didn't want to force him or control him to choose this route. And I still had difficulty being in the relationship where I abandoned myself, you know, being, um, being around him energetically. So anyway, so I left the relationship and then after that, uh, so I left the internship site. Yeah. I left the internship site. I left school. I left the relationship and then I decided to move. I needed to move out on my, my own, like in a new apartment. So I picked up waitressing mm-hmm. and luckily that's what I figured I wanted to do. It, it seemed like it would make me happy. I was, I was able to, uh, connect with a friend who had one of her, um, her family members was able to get me a position as a waitress, even though I had no prior experience. So I felt really blessed because I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I ended up getting my own apartment and I was working. So while I was waitressing, I also had this other small side position as a therapist to still work towards my hours where I was still getting paid to see clients because I had two internships at the time, but that ended up falling apart because something with the insurance that I wasn't able to see clients and I wasn't able to make money that way anymore. So that fell Mm. off too. So that everything from my, this life that had built in Sacramento started to Mm. just chiseling away. So I was in my apartment, um, in my apartment as a waitress. And this is where things started to go, um, more South because I had never lived on my own before, you know, and Mm. 
I was just highly, highly dependent on being taken care of. That's why I was really attached to my ex. He was the one who took care of me all the time. And so dealing with the grief of the breakup, I was swimming in grief. Like I had no idea what was going on. I was so, it was like so much for my nervous system that now when I reflect back, I totally collapsed and shut down. So gradually over time, I wasn't paying, I wasn't facing the bills. Um, I started to put push people away from my life. I pushed my mentor away. And at this time though, actually before I left uh, my ex and our apartment, this is where Embody was, the idea for Embody was uh, planted Mm. within. This was about five years ago. It was as if once I had the courage to leave certain things, I began to get these like downloads and clarity, but this was five years ago. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm going to work towards this business while, while p- being a waitress. I don't want to do therapy anymore. It's already crumbled. I want to do coaching and I want to do this. So I tried to, when I was in the apartment in Sacramento waitressing, but I was swimming in so much grief that I started isolating mm-hmm. and I wasn't paying the bills and I ended up losing my apartment And then I got into this flight stage where I thought that I needed to, I was on this spiritual, some of the stories I was telling myself, and this this says a lot about trauma, right? Because it's like, Mm. you're in denial of reality. And there was like these stories that I started creating about how I needed to rid myself of all attachments. So that Mm. meant I needed to get rid of everything. So that's what I did. It was kind of a way that I was running for my life. So Mm. When I lost my apartment, I quit the waitressing with, I didn't save money really. I just thought, well, screw it. Like I'm going to pursue embody you and I'm going to go full on in. And I look back and I'm like, wow. And you know, and this is all going in my memoir, which I've been writing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But I, I had no concept of being grounded in finances or caring for myself, Hmm. Uh, it's interesting the stories that I told myself to kind of cope to that. I, that I guess I was barely healing in layers with the grief of all the losses that I was facing, but I also was telling myself stories around finances that didn't allow me to be grounded in, in ensuring I was taking care of myself that way. So what ended up happening is mm. I landed on a friend's couch in Sacramento and then I got chosen for this reality show called, (laughs) yeah, in Hollywood called The Goddess Empowered. Wow. Because by this time, I was like, okay, I started putting myself out on social media and I was like, I'm going to make Embody You work. (laughs) And I had all these visions of like what I was going to do. Meanwhile, I was struggling behind closed doors with like a lot of grief. And I was like, I don't care though. I'm going to go full on in with Embody You. Like this is, this is like my dream. And this is so good. This, this oh, is so better. good this because so many people can relate to this. I can relate to this. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. So I, uh, I ended up, I don't know, like I, I, I ended up, uh, getting chosen for this reality show. Cause I had, I was in this like millennial thought leaders group. And so okay. I knew I was going to get chosen for this reality show though. Cause I got woken up at like one, one, one and they, out of a couple of hundred women, 
I was one of the like 13 chosen and I knew I was going to be chosen and it was going to be a reality show all on globally ambitious women, like being put in uh, a mansion and us being coached towards our businesses and public speaking. So for me, this was like, oh my gosh, like, and by this time I was still, you know, heavy in my density trauma where I attached so much of my identity around fame and like fortune Mm. and, you know, wanting to be like, the center of the spotlight, you know, and bless my heart and soul. Like I know I had good intentions, but I'm so glad I didn't like none of that panned out because just my level of integrity, I just, I just wasn't ready. And anyway, so that's, that's in of itself. So I ended up leaving Sacramento behind when I got chosen for the reality show. And I went all the way down to Hollywood And I had a friend that I had met in Sacramento at a dance uh, workshop who lived in LA and she allowed me to stay on her couch. Meanwhile, I'm getting all these calls from like credit card companies, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. all the loan companies. I'm like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt uh, from everything that I left behind, right? Like the schooling and all of that. And I'm swimming in grief. And mind you, me leaving Sacramento was the catalyst for it. It triggered even more trauma in me where in that transition, I started purging. Like I, Mm -hmm. I had never purged before. Uh, And I'm talking about like eating disorder wise, like Mm -hmm. I had like eating issues, but not to the extent of purging. So I remember on my drive from Sacramento to because by this time I only had my car left. Like I had given away everything because I said, I'm going to give up all my attachments. I want to learn how to be like live in the world with like, and without any attachments to material things or any of that, but it was so not grounded. Like now that I look back on it. So I only had my car and I had a couple of uh, like one box and a suitcase and a couple of, you know, uh, important possessions. So I land in LA that night we go to the red carpet event and I remember <laughs> being on that red carpet event and just thinking like, wow, I'm like living the life. Like I'm like in wow, Hollywood yeah. and, uh-huh. uh, and it's just so funny because behind closed doors, I was, I was purging, but at the time I wasn't, I was in denial. Like I wasn't, and mind you, and this is where a lot of the shame I had to work through over these years to forgive myself around, you know, here I was posting five, four years ago about self-love and like all these things, which in my heart, I really thought I was like doing right. Cause that's yeah. the layers of denial, like the masks. And mm. here I am like in Hollywood, like all of this, so excited that I'm going to be on this show and, and behind closed doors though, I was grieving. I was isolating. I was on the couch. I was starving and Mm. the, and I pushed everybody away. I wasn't allowing close support in my life around me. Mm. And I, I, it got to the point, just fast forward. It got to the point where I, I house sat for, um, this one woman and I kept isolating more and getting worse in the eating disorder and I remember, and I didn't have any money left because the this job that I got in LA, I was cracking so much with the grief that mentally I couldn't keep it together. So I just quit and I didn't have any any money left. 
So I ended up on the streets on Hollywood Boulevard. I'll never forget this with a suitcase, Mm -hmm. just homeless, like straight up with nothing. And I was so confused at the time because to me, I was doing everything that I thought I needed to be doing. Like I was showing up to me, all the grief work that I was doing was I'm showing up like what is going on. I felt so lost, but I didn't realize that it was my shame that had me push everybody away. It had me be in denial about what was going on. It had me hiding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember before I was homeless on the streets in LA, you know, I broke down and went to a food bank to finally receive food. But that was so hard for me to receive because I didn't think that I needed that. Like that's how much in denial I was too, was like, oh, I don't need that, you know? And at the time they were still putting together the show. So while this was all going on in LA, my, I was still showing up on social media and trying to like, show up for embody you right just like with creating content but i my per, my social life i had cut off friends and i wasn't sharing with anybody because to me i needed to protect this journey and that's where the shame comes in right that like the protection i didn't want to hear it from anybody i didn't want anybody to lecture me about my journey i i guess i felt so naked without the degree the the career, like all the things that Mm. I had attached my identity around, you know, the relationship, all of that, since I didn't have that anymore, I felt super like naked and ashamed. And I had, you know, certain family, they were concerned. They were like, what are you doing with your life? Like, (laughs) why, why did you give up all of this? And so I pushed everybody away because I didn't want to hear that. I knew I was on this journey and I knew it was going to lead me to somewhere. And I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do or where to go, but I did it to the extent where it led to this hard fall where I, I uh, lost everything and ended up on the streets in LA. And it got to the point where I started connecting with the homeless on the streets, like, because Mm. I realized like, they like, who am I to be different? with them, you know, and, and I have stories with that, which is going to definitely be in my book, you know, and, and it was cool. Cause the, some of these people that I didn't even know, they were offering me the, the little food that they had. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, feeling so lonely walking around Hollywood Boulevard. And yet I felt the most connected to the homeless at the time. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening is I cried out again and that, uh, I cried out. That was my second crying out to God because I didn't, I just broke down. I collapsed and yeah. like, a, like a decade later. I mean, no, this was probably, yeah. So once I like hit, hit it on the streets and I was like on the streets, it was within a couple of days and, uh, Oh, I mean like from the first time. So like you, you had talked about the first time that you cried out for God. And you said, I'll commit to love if you're really out there. I wrote that down. I love that. And so that was like early twenties. And then like, were, is this about a decade later that you're, you're talking about being on the streets? Yeah. So this was about, let's see, I would say about eight years, like seven or eight years later. So, (laughs) so yeah. So fast forward, then what ends up happening is 
this friend who who I met in my doctorate program, thank God she she had her own like a nonprofit around working with trauma and military families and all that. So she's very conscious around trauma. She has no idea what's going on. <laughs> like she happens to be driving to LA with her husband mm. that weekend that I'm like needing support, right? Mm. So I end up hitting her up. And I'm like, oh, can I just stay with you for the weekend? Because I'm in denial and I'm so ashamed, right? And I have no idea what's going on. She's like, yeah, sure. I would love to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. So she picks me up and then I break down. She ends up finding out in the car that I'm homeless. (laughs) Like, And God Uh bless her soul. She took me in. Her and her husband took me in. We went back up to Sacramento. And she's like, no, you're not leaving. She says, Mm. you need a rest. Because that was another thing is another reason why I... Didn't I couldn't get another nine to five when I walked away is because I knew I needed I needed to process this grief. And I remember processing all throughout this where I knew I needed to be with my pain. And that's what caused me to still run so much was all this grief, right? That I had to be still in flight mode, that it was so much for mine to carry. And that's why I was so, I guess in my mind at the time, so devoted towards doing whatever it took to heal because I knew that like a nine to five wasn't going to allow me to unravel in the ways that I needed to unravel. And that's where I felt very misunderstood from other people because they were like, well, get a job again, get a full-time job or go back to your education. And by that time I walked from ever away from everything. And even though I still, this was the beginning with embody you and I wasn't really fully launched in it. I also knew that there was this dream that was put in my heart that I knew I had to become the woman behind it all, even though I was, I was lost in the thick of it, but I knew that yeah. there, there was like a deeper soul calling behind all the chaos that was happening into my life. So in Sacramento, I was there for a couple of months and I remember my ways of thinking at the time. I wanted to push away this friend so much because by this time, my trauma brain, another, another thing of what landed me to being homeless that much was I thought people were out to manipulate me. And I didn't want to trust anybody. It was just so interesting, my thought, though, my ways of thinking. Yeah, but now I want to ask you there. Yeah. Can you explain that? Because I know that you know a lot about that trauma at this point. And so, like, why does that happen? Why does that happen that you want to push everybody away and you think, like, everybody's out to manipulate me? Yeah, well, it's from, obviously, residual trauma and, like, trauma responses, you know, and the shame because, because since there's so much misattunement and there's a lack of safety of, well, trauma is so relational, right? So with the complex PTSD, you know, it wasn't safe for me to be fully like fully seen growing up. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. I guess at that time I oscillated, it was like an avoidant attachment style. Cause I would say when I was younger, it was more of the anxious attachment, but then I oscillated to the the avoidant where once my trauma got activated, um, it, the, the, the trauma responses got me into this, into this way of thinking where other people weren't safe. And 
And that's what kind of got me into that extreme. Um, and that's what trauma does. And that's a part of the shame is because it's like, since I wasn't attuned to myself and because I hadn't had the only one who I really felt who had attuned to me at the time, the first time really in my life was that mentor I met in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. But I associated once I pushed him away, I didn't have anybody like left. I had pushed. So even friends who really cared about me at the time, they weren't still safe to me because I was so in my trauma that nobody was safe anymore. <laughs> like, like nobody was completely safe, you know? Yeah. So, so, so that is what has to happen there. Like if, you know, cause if people can identify with that, what has to happen there? Like when, when you notice, okay, I don't want to own what's really happening. So I'm pushing other people away. Um, what would you, what would you advise or what did you have to do? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're aware, cause one thing is being aware of that it's happening. And one is right. one thing is you're not even aware. I wasn't even aware that this was going on. I just straight up was so lost in it that I thought that people were not safe. But if you're aware of it, I mean, the way to get out of it is you need support. Like that's a part of shame is that Mm. you need, you need support to get out of shame. If you're so stuck in it like that, because you're so, you're so unsafe and swimming in your patterns and your trauma that you can't regulate, you can't attune to yourself. So you do need co-regulation. And that's a part of the shame, right? Is that you think you need, you think you can do it all on your own and you end up isolating more and you think that nobody's safe around you. Another thing though, too, is access to resources because I, at the time, didn't have access to resources. So For me, it wasn't, or I I at least thought that I didn't, I should say that because there, there are ways to get support. Right. But the the difference of it between then and now, because, you know, I, you know, I've noticed and witnessed within myself of wanting to share certain things and, and I'll just be transparent. So I have this new friend that came into my, my life and I knew she was a safe, I knew she was a safe and trustworthy worthy person. I just knew she was because I know her integrity and I know I just knew. And that's a part of the obviously the trauma work that I've done to be able to know, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was dealing with some stuff personally that I knew I wanted to open up with her about about something that I couldn't regulate all on my own. And I remember thinking like, I'm so, so scared to open up to her. Like I, I feel so afraid to open up, but I know she's a safe and trustworthy person. And that that's kind of the difference between the Artemis now versus me back then. Right. Is that I was still at a point in my journey where since I hadn't really accessed enough of an embodied felt sense of safety. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even, I couldn't even trust myself enough to trust another 
around, um, around connection. So that's really important. Yeah. Right. So the, the shame really, um, like shame lives in silence and shame like lives in the dark. And so like it lives in secrecy. Yeah. So we have these things that are going on in our lives or these things that have happened to us or like traumas that we can't make sense of. And, you know, it's like, well, well, we might judge ourselves or we might fear others judgment. And then it's like, I'm going to just keep this to myself. And then that like ends up ruling your life. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you don't even realize that you're keeping it to yourself though. Mm -hmm. A lot in the beginning, right? Because it's just, you're hiding, like you're hiding. Yeah. And, but it's really those areas we want to hide is where we need the connection. And Mm. we can't, we cannot expand more into who we are until we're seen for those parts that we want to hide. It's a necessary part of embodying who we truly are. We can't bypass it. And we can't become ourselves until we go to those places where we want to hide. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for co-regulation too, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there's so much power in sharing the things that you've kept as a secret or you've kept in shame. Yeah. And I even think about just this recent friend, right? I shared something with her that I felt ashamed around and, and it lost its power immediately when I shared with her and the difference was is I felt so secure within myself when I walked away from sharing with her because I it's like right another thing I think with shame and and connection right is it's like a muscle that you have to continue expanding in your body to be able to receive right where you begin to like you're you notice the fears and the 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 doubts and whatever, but you know, that's not you. And you know, that's not true. And you know, the vulnerability hangover is just, (laughs) it can be a part of it, but you don't collapse into the shame. And I think there's something about shame where I, I believe it's one of the the hardest. uh, I think it's one of the most difficult. I don't want to just say emotions because I think it's, 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 it's whole experience that we have difficulty moving into or accepting or being with, right? Because it's the source of everything. Like shame is the core of so many of our issues, right? Like the lowest emotion. It's the lowest frequency. It's like as low as you can feel. Right. Right. And it's just so interesting how we'll do anything to avoid feeling Mm. it. Mm you know? And I think, well, and if you just think about it, it's because like the body posture, you just want to lean over and, you know, you don't want to make eye contact. Right. But it's sneaky because you don't even know that it's there. And I feel like it's just layer upon Mm. layer that as it, as more masks and more layers just keep unraveling, you don't even realize how much it's been there. It's been that cloak on you that's been covering your truth. That's been covering who you are. And I think another thing is we're scared of shame. And I think if we began to actually 
become more intimate with it. Like I've shifted my relationship to it now, right? Where I'm like, okay, like shame, you're going to be here. And I don't got to be afraid of you anymore. Like you get to, there, there was something too about in me and my relationship with shame where I used to start to become afraid of it. Even when I started to feel it or identify it right in my body. Yeah. It takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. It takes a while, but now I'm like, well, I don't need to get rid of, I don't need to have a relationship with it where it's also, I need to get rid of it. Like it needs to mm. be removed because I see that a lot in a lot of yeah. like coaching circles where shame then starts to become this like, like a taboo or yeah, like something that you shouldn't have anymore. I love this. Yeah. Talk, talk more about this. Like, how do you sit with it? Like, how do you personally, um, clearly you're doing it now. Like you said in the beginning, I'm excited to share this story. And so you're demonstrating this ability to sit with something that has been previously shameful. Maybe the shame is still there. And you're saying it's not who I am. It doesn't define me. So how do you personally do that? Well, first thing is safety in the body, right? Because we can't feel anything if we're not safe in the body. If, and what I mean and I'm, I know Sarah, you, you're, you do this, you share about this a lot beautifully uh, with your listeners and the work that you do, but it's, if we're in a trauma response, a flight freeze response, we're not feeling. And so that actually, we're probably in shame too, because we're not really being seen, you know, we're not, Cause we're kind of either frozen or collapsed in this state that doesn't allow us to actually process and be seen fully in the moment. Cause anytime that we're in these trauma responses, we're in a protective defensive mode. Right. So the first, the first way to with shame is with any other emotion is you just, you develop safety in your body and you get grounded. And then I would say it's honoring like our, our tolerance, right. Our window of tolerance of what feels comfortable, because Mm -hmm. here's another thing about shame is like, sometimes if you're opening up too much, too fast, that could also be shame too. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, you don't ask just anybody to hold your story. No. And that can be triggering too. (laughs) Like, So yeah, you need to definitely find safe, supportive community to open up around it. But you also can choose to share it at any point. There's no pressure. Cause I know I was in the beginning when all that happened in the, in LA and I was like coming out of it, I carried so much shame that I felt when I would tell sometimes the story, which I didn't tell it in as detail as I told it now, I would say it so fast. And that was still with shame. Right. Right. You know? It was just like, and this happened and and like the way I told it. Right. So Uh there's a way where it's like slowing down and being grounded in the body, being fully in your body and just slowly tracking like the sensations. Like when you find yourself wanting to, I don't know you in your body. And this is something that for listeners, it's like, you have to become more intimate of what shame 
feels like in your body. But for me, it's usually, you know, I want to slouch. Like I want to begin to just slouch and like not make eye contact. I just am so hesitant. Like, and I just feel so hesitant to sharing. I just want to, I guess I shared this already crouch, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. my heart starts kind of like racing a little bit and, but it's something you just need to slowly build your tolerance up to just slowly. Yeah. I love that about the sharing and sharing fast. And, and I know that you work with a lot of like high achieving women who are just, you know, um, (laughs) yeah, like on the trajectory of like, I've got to get it right. Right. Because that's how we're enculturated. Excuse me. And I love how you were identifying that at the beginning of embody you where you were in LA, not, not willing or ready to acknowledge like the actual state of things. And, and, um, you know, just like, this is a path I'm on and I got to be on this path. And you were like, I'm, I'm going to make the business work now. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there. And it's, it's that, and I wonder if you can kind of juxtapose for us or compare how you spoke in your business then what kinds of messages were in your business how did it feel to be trying to like quote unquote make it go then while you still had all of this kind of like under the hood or in the closet so to speak versus now where you're embracing the whole of who you are and i love isn't it just so beautiful think soul and i love how you say bless my heart and soul because it's like we're on the path right like embody you have come to you you, you know you're like i'm going to do my best and i did this with embodied breath too i was like okay out of the gates here we freaking go you know and and like yeah things came up i had shame i mean yes i i am totally right there with you and when we are like okay i'm going to make it go and oh my gosh i'm talking to so many women right now out there i know i am um you know we have this dream we have this like thing that we're supposed to bring into the world we have this like purpose and we have all this unresolved shit, all this unresolved trauma, all the shame, but we're showing up anyway. How does that feel compared to what you're doing now? Now it's a lot more grounded. And I know you speak a lot to this with healing our relationship with the masculine, healing our relationship with God. And yeah, because no, in, in, and mind you, there's been a, there were, after the fall in LA, there were probably two more falls after that. So I'm leaving that out and that's going to be in the book, right? So mm. anybody who's listening, you're going to have to stay tuned more for that. But for what happened in LA, with the difference with Embody You at the time, I'm just, it's way more, a lot more slower, a lot more moving with my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot more. I feel like the energy back in um, LA at the time, it was just more of this like feminine, chaotic feminine 
flow. Like I was so in my feminine, you know, where I was like, yeah, flowy. (laughs) Yeah. Goddess flow, right? (laughs) Yeah. Self-love, self-love. Like I love myself. (laughs) And now it's just, and mind you, I, I, I walked away from Embody for a couple of years. When that happened in LA, I thought the dream had died. So once I did some good years of recovery work after the aftermath of all of that, then Embody got reawakened in me and I realized, whoa, no, this is still, this is still the thing. Like this is still the mission, right? Yeah. So, but now in returning to it, it's really uh, being, being more in, in this devotional path of inner union and masculine uh, masculine and feminine, what you, which you talk so much about, Sarah, which is why I gravitated so much towards your work, because I had no idea what was going on with, I had, yeah, I was in kind of in my body, like in, in LA, but there was so much trauma that still needed to be uh, felt and integrated. And And in terms of the structure was missing so much from my life because prior to that, yeah, I was like in the doctorate program doing all these things, Mm -hmm. but it was so externally, like I, at the time needed somebody to tell me, okay, this is the hours that you're going to work. And, you know, like the the structure to be more external than more internally built. So yeah, the, the difference today is just, it's a lot more embodied is a lot more. It has a more solid foundation anchoring there's a lot more slowness and integration and and really seeing the sacredness and the practical and the mundane because I feel like mm. the me of five years ago, four years ago, especially like with Hollywood is just like so into the flashy, you know? And I definitely yeah. got caught up in like, yeah, I just want to be like just a billionaire and like, do all these things and, you know, like all the flashy stuff, which I see a lot still in the coaching industry. Right. And and not really getting to the basics of what the true, how it's, what the journey is really about. Like, which I know you, you talk a lot about with prosperity, even with Sarah, you know, um, really soul nourishing truths, which, is really important that I think sometimes when we're launching in our mission or our business, it's very easy to get caught up in wanting to prove ourselves and, and say we've made it, which goes back to the shame, right? Like to be evolved enough. That's another thing. The difference between me also in the past to now is like, Oh, I got to actually be grounded in my humanity more, my vulnerability. And I get to actually just be more real. Yeah. Which I don't need to add on all these layers of like, oh, I need to have this and this and this and this and show that I'm more evolved and have it all together and all this so I can show that I've like made it, you know? Yeah. Right. And just listening to you and the story that you shared and everything you've been through and then um, just seeing how you show up every day, you know, I'm, I'm thinking from a perspective of like, um, uh, like hiring you as a a uh, coach, therapist, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not sure what you call yourself. <laughs> um, woman guide. Right. Um, but I know in me that I would so much rather have 
Artemis, who has been honest with me and vulnerable about the story and has sat with her own shame, I would rather have Artemis, like that version, (laughs) hold the space for me to say like, okay, you know, there's this messiness going on inside of me rather than like going to, you know, maybe that that previous version of yourself that you actually like stopped the schooling, walked away from that, like high achieving. I know it because I've studied it and I know it because my life has some like, you know, (laughs) glitter on it. Right. And, and that is not as authentically felt um, in the humanity. Like you said, where when we're looking for guides and like who's going to hold space for us, my heart gravitates toward, well, I want to know that this person has walked that and can talk about it and can can hold the space because you've lived it rather than you've just studied it in a book. Because I know a lot of therapists who just studied things in books, but haven't walked the soul path, like the nitty gritty, the soul path. Yeah, definitely. And I think a key word that you said is steady. I think that's, that's where it's at, you know, and in terms of in the past to now and, and really finding, and this is where releasing shame, so much of releasing shame is like, you do continue slowing down and you Mm. find so much so much fulfillment in just being like really being here and, and yeah, it's just, when I think of it, it's just simplicity. Life just becomes more simple, you know? Yeah. Well, and self-acceptance, right? Like you are fully accepting every part of yourself. So your nervous system doesn't have to be jacked up defending the parts of yourself that you're not willing to look at. You're, you're, in full self-acceptance. You're like, okay, I can sit with you self, no matter what you've got going on. Um, so you don't, you don't need the fight or flight. Like you're not running from yourself. Yeah. And that has been, I think the biggest blessing of releasing shame is that safety, right? Being able to access that safety and not allowing shame to not allowing shame to, um, to drive the story anymore or to drive like it gets what is it i forget pet pema she has like a quote where it's like you know certain feelings they get to sit they get to sit next to you in the car you know they don't don't drive (laughs) they don't need to drive and that's the same thing with i feel like with shame is that it gets to be there instead of like i said abandoning oh my gosh i shouldn't be feeling this way i can't believe i'm still feeling shame it's like no it's okay it gets to be on the the driving the 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 passenger seat, just like fear, just like yeah. sadness, just like rage. But I don't, I don't got to, uh, it doesn't have to determine any more of the, the storyline. Right. Right. And I don't, I don't have to outrun it. And I think that I'm just self-reflecting here. Um, as we near our conclusion, um, the more I can sit with my own shame, yes, the more I am in a regulated nervous system, but also the more I trust myself. Yes, yes, yes. Because so much of, 
So much of us knowing more of who we are is being seen. And it goes back to that attunement too. When we allow ourselves to be seen, you know, we continue integrating these parts of ourselves, which allows us to identify more and be more present because we're more attuned with our felt sense in the moment. And a lot of times with shame is when we have a lot of unprocessed shame still, or we outrun shame, we're not attuned to the moment of what we're needing. And that's where so much of our self-abandonment goes out the window, you know, because we get in our head instead of being instead of tracking more moment to moment. Right. Right. It's like, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, rather than like, who am I? Who am I right here? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's those, it's those very stories that we run from. I love this. You said this earlier, but I'm just like saying it in a different way. The very stories that we run from when, when we are able to sit with them and like be in the humility of that and be in the humanity of that, that's where, again, the, like the, it's the self-trust Like, I know that not everything that I have done has been perfect by any means. And I know that being in the public with my life, I have definitely felt um, time and time again, like I had to have it together. You know, I also tried to model vulnerability, but it's something that I'm continuously kind of working on. But as I grow up, (laughs) you know, as I mature, um, it is this self-nurturance to be able to sit with the stories of shame and say, yeah, maybe that wasn't ideal. Yeah, maybe I didn't make the best choice. Yeah, maybe I carried that because of a lineage of trauma. You know, all of those things. And then to like when I stop running from that, I can sit with anything. Yeah. Yep. And that's the person I want to be. Right. And like, I want to be able to sit with you in whatever you've got going on. And I want to be able to sit with my kid when he comes home from school and he feels shame, you know, like I, I want to be able to sit with whatever is because that is where we're going to deeply, deeply connect human to human. Yeah. And that vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I so uh, resonate with that. And I mean, vulnerability is, And that's the heart of connection, you know, and it's to the, it, for me, it's, I think it's an honor to, I mean, obviously moving through so much of, of the shame, especially from that story is like, wow, the depth of the depth of humanity, it gives you. Yeah. And if you allow it to shape you though, of course, because that's the thing is shame is one of those things we can just keep out running and out running and out running, but we're yeah. really turned towards it's the nugget. It's the nuggets towards our purpose Yeah, because shame unfaced is, is what keeps us stuck in separation from knowing the truth. Mm. And so the more that we can actually turn towards it and even though uncomfortable, it's, it really is what allows us to really step into more of who we are, you know? I do. I do. Artemis, you have given us so many wisdom nuggets. I, like, <laughs> there are so many beautiful um, 
quotes inside of this episode that, uh, yeah, I feel like it's one to listen to twice. So um, we're, we're going to wrap up here and I'm wondering if you can just take a few moments to, you know, share anything that is, um, in conclusion, kind of on your heart and also tell us where to find you. And I know that you've got some beautiful offerings going on right now as well. Yeah. So I would just share with listeners that, Shame is not who you are and anything that you've done in the past, you're so worthy of starting over and creating a new beginning. There's nothing that you've ever done that could ever separate you from truth and from grace. And it's the things that you have the most shame around that are the things that are going to allow you to connect with humanity the most. It's like the portal, the initiation towards your truth. Mm. And that's what I really come to. And I'm continuing to learn about my journey with, and my relationship with shame is it's allowed me to um, access a depth of compassion and understanding with humanity in a way that um, I would have never been able to access before. And I think it's really beautiful that that on this journey, that grace is always accessed towards the present moment. Like we, we're allowed as many second and third chances Mm. as we can. And so my, my encouragement would be to just remind you that whatever you're still hiding, whatever you can still honor your timing and pacing with it too, because that's another thing is we, you know, we all have our timing with coming out with whatever we want to share, but like every part of you and every part of your story is loved. And there's probably many people that need to hear what you've gone through and a lot of people who need to also be, um, be given permission just by you being who you are. So I really want to stress that. And yeah, so you can find me at embody you whole. So E M B O D Y the letter U and then W H O L E on Instagram, I do have a free masterclass that you can feel free to sign up. Uh, the link is on my Instagram profile. You can always reach out to me if you can't find it. But I kind of also in that masterclass, I go over some things in the self-help and spiritual communities that keep us stuck in shame. Because if you're like a high performing woman uh, and you're trying to be your best self, and I put that in quotes, I'm kind of putting that as quotes it's kind of these languaging and these beliefs that we unconsciously are operating from that really don't allow us to embody more of who we truly are. So I'm really big about speaking about some of these, some of these lies I'd like to say that aren't aren't true, that really keep us stuck in shame and disconnected from our humanity when our humanity is going to be the gateway and portal to truth. Uh, so you can, um, access that masterclass for free. And I also have embody you podcasts that you can also check out. I'm also on Facebook too, on Artemis J Rose. So yeah, I definitely would look forward to connecting with you more. So thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that.
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And yeah, I encourage everyone to reach out to you and to learn more and to follow you on social media and ask you to hold space for them. If, if they're feeling that connection, um, thank you so much for talking about those falsehoods in the spiritual community that really keep us like, uh, collectively striving for some sort of perfection where you're exactly right. Like to go back and to unearth the traumas and to look at the shame and to embody that is exactly what, what puts us in our humanity, which makes us true leaders, which makes us, you know, trustable, um, to others. And yeah, definitely. I I've lived this path. I'm living this path. Um, I believe it 100%. So thank you so much for modeling that, um, and living that way. And thank you for coming here today and telling your story. What a blessing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much once again, Sarah. And one last thing that is coming up is, you know, the more that I I think that what's been the most uh, surprising about this journey is being like, wow, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, you know, you think this, this journey is about becoming something when it's, it's unbecoming everything you thought you were and realizing, Mm -hmm. wow, there's never been anything wrong with me. How bizarre, like what? Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that too. And to actually love yourself, like, and it's okay to actually love yourself, you know, it's, it's totally okay. Um, and yeah. And I, I wish that, um, for more, for more of us for sure. So, all right. Well, this conversation feels like it's to be continued because there's just so much here, but again, for today, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks everybody for listening. Yes. Thank you. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.